And we are back with more on Newstalk Saga 960. So very glad you could join us to start your work week right here with us on the Mark Petronas Show. And what better way to start the week than with Joe Warmington, veteran columnist and journalist with the Toronto Sun. And uh, Joe's been writing about a number of different things, including Elon Musk's uh, attempted uh, hostile takeover of Twitter, who now is uh, pulling out the stops in terms of trying to prevent that from happening despite the fact that it may erode, hurt uh, investors in the company and shareholders, you would think that yeah. shareholder value would be uh, the paramount uh, you know, uh, thing that they would keep an eye out at Twitter, but it's not. It's really about censorship. It's really about uh, managing <laughs> and controlling the message. And uh, kudos to you to write about this, uh, for writing about this in the sun, Joe. Um, and, and it's it's continuing on, isn't it? Because now, of course, Elon comes up and he was asked whether he's got Plan B in case, for instance, uh, Twitter uh, manages to block the purchase of of Twitter by Elon Musk. He's, he does have a Plan B, although nobody knows what it is yet. Well, his Plan B in his mind, I bet, is to see the stock go from you know whatever it's at now. He offered the the fifty four. And it'll go down to thirty bucks or twenty-five bucks, and then he'll scoop it up that way. Uh, he'll also enjoy seeing the board that is trying to block him now. Most of whom, by the way, Mark don't have uh, shares in the company. Uh, you know, great irony there. Uh, it, you know, he's sort of exposing them to the shareholders and to their own whims because they can take people to court. I mean, if you have a responsibility to maximize your investment with somebody or they, they with you if you don't do that you're liable and so all these things these things could play out but it was interesting because he really touched on a nerve there because really what elon musk is is what we'd all like to be you know where we actually can fight for ourselves the, the man sort of pushes you down and makes it really hard and people are on the run and they're this and that and they can't do anything. Well, this guy, he's able to do it, but you can also see the pushback that he's getting. If he doesn't win, there's no hope for any of us. Yeah, and some of that pushback is even coming from Canada, from the likes of the Globe and Mail and Torstar. Well, they, you know, they, they, like it when they, they like it when they're controlling the message and they don't want him opening up the message. I mean, I didn't get from Elon Musk and I never have any kind of an idea that he wants to control any message. He just wants to have all of it out there. And you get to say it without being canceled. And he even talked about that. button. He doesn't mind editing. We all need editing here and there. Uh, you know, you, you, you've, you've got to push the envelope. If you've gone too far, okay. Gone too far, edit it. Or if you need to apologize, so be it. But it shouldn't be canceling people. You don't want to have a society where you're afraid to say or think or, or act on anything. Because then the only people that benefit are the people that control all the purse strings. And I think that's what Elon's saying. And I think that's what the people that are fighting him are trying to hang on to, the control of that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But the idea that some of these uh, media companies uh, have threatened to move their uh, content to other platforms if Elon manages to take the company private, that's... Uh, you know, where are they going to go? Getter? I mean, uh, Parler? <laughs> it's like, I guess they could just go, all pile into Facebook. And then you have people like Frank Graves who come out and uh, say, well, you know, billionaires uh, really shouldn't be controlling these media companies anyway. But I didn't hear much squawking when uh, Jeff Bezos t- took the took care of, uh, took ownership of the Washington Post. Nobody said, well, you shouldn't be allowed to do that. I mean, maybe a couple of people. But certainly well, I still saw, have- I saw this kind of pushback. The only people that get this kind of pushback are conservatives 
when Conrad Black did the National Post and was expanding, that was a big crisis uh, for all the left. They they were they really went after him, and you know you saw the kind of pushback that Doug before he kind of became a liberal. Doug Ford <laughs> was representing that, and you know that I've been around long enough to remember that. You know, it wasn't very long ago, and so but I mean he, he wants to survive, and he, you, you know. So basically what the liberals have done, liberal left, it, it, they've set the narrative that, that they're the governing party and that they're the ones with the common sense and the free speech and, and democracy and all that. But if you say, hey, wait a minute, what about this or that? You're canceled, you're put in jail, they seize your bank accounts, your home, whatever. And it's only going to get worse with this Bill 100 that's come through. And so Elon Musk represents some sort of a pushback to that. It, you know, it irritates him. It, it goes against his sensibilities. Uh, he looks like, even though he's the richest person in the world, he's the richest person in the world because he's gone out t- taking chances. And he's in industries, and he's building things in industries that are very difficult to do. So <clears throat> he's not afraid. He's not intimidated. He looks like a vulnerable, regular vulnerable human being, which is very interesting about him. Yeah. You know, he's on Twitter and he's kind of like, he's not a know-it-all. He doesn't send like some of the know-it-all. Yeah, no, I, uh, he's a regular guy with, who just happens to have $250 billion. But let me ask you this. I mean, now that he's become public, public enemy number one uh, or public enemy. And U.S. They tell you, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. I'm having your, uh, I'm having a bit of an issue with your uh, audio, but I want to ask you this because now, of course, he's become either public enemy number one or number two now. You've got Joe Rogan, who some people think, well, obviously is extremely rich himself, and then you've got uh, now Elon Musk, people who advocate or push uh, for freedom of speech. Uh, but he, in the Musk's case, he's also the producer of EVs, Teslas. And so you've got a left-wing media that on one hand is pushing more people towards uh, EVs, you know, uh, demonizing fossil fuels. And so you would think that that would and has helped make uh, Musk the richest man in the world or among the top. And so how do they then now demonize him while continuing to push EVs? So on one hand, they're, they, they've been partially responsible by raising all this, uh, uh, you know, hyperventilating over climate change for making him as wealthy as he is. But now he's become an enemy. So it's like a double-edged sword. How do they demonize, continue to demonize Musk while pushing EVs under the pretext of climate change, if you know my question. Well, no, I get, I get your, your, your point. And they, they have no problem doing that because hypocrisy is their number one weapon in that, you know, they don't stand for anything. It's a lot harder when you stand. Like, there's some very, very good quality liberal thinking people that you respect. And, uh, you know, like a guy like a Bill Maher, for example, good example. Uh, but he's not going to go along with everything just because they're telling you he has to do it. He's big on this uh, censorship stuff because he's sensitive to it. And so, you know, that when you're a conservative kind of thinker, it's very difficult because the hypocrisy that they talk about, you know, you know what I mean? It's very, very, very hard. You have to join them or you're out. Now, but they'll have no trouble coming up with a, a way to sort of bully and pile on him. They've done it before. And you remember, for a lot of these people, the things like the climate change and all that and, and the response to it is not as much about that as it is about the power of that and what that means and the control they're able to do the taxes they're able to bring in and you know, all you need to do is look at our own prime minister who is 
you know, flying out to BC and then turns around, flies back to Ontario and then flies back out to BC. Then he has the audacity to, and somewhere in the middle of that, film a television commercial where he vaguely talks about they're going to respond to the climate crisis. Well, the first response I'm thinking is, well, why don't you carpool it out there and stay out there? <laughs> I mean, we all do that. We can't afford to do that. If I, if I have to go, you know, out to say, you know, wherever it is, it's like Kingston or something for, you know, and there's things to do. You just go there once and you get it all done. You don't go all oh, come back and go back and forth and whatever, because you can't afford to. And in addition to that, I don't know if we're thinking about the, the planet and all that as well, but you might want to if you're in corporate jet or a challenger jet, which belongs to us, by the way, not his, ours, and uh, and all the people that are maintaining it and flying it and serving on it and all that, that's ours. That's what belongs to us. And so we're allowed to say, hey, wait a minute, that's hypocrisy. Um, you know, it's not that it's going to make that much of a difference, but if you're going to turn around and seize my bank account, for saying it, then we can say, hey, well, hello, um, can you try to be a little more careful to the planet and also to our our dollars? You've also been writing about uh, a band's, uh, uh, the entertainment industry, the Glorious Sons, a rock band, uh, again, doing live music. And, uh, and so uh, I guess this is almost everything old is new again. It's like, got to get used to playing live, got to get used to having people... Uh, at venues, so it's uh, after not doing it for a while, uh, things are showing signs well, of of getting back to normal yeah. on the entertainment front. I like I, I like I like this story because the the Glorious Sons are a band from from Kingston, Ontario, which is not an easy place to come from when you're a band. I mean, there's another band from Kingston. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, well, they're so so they're, hip. They're, they so they kind of grew up in the shadow of that, and then and they don't know what to do with it because they're you know they these guys have grew up with that. I mean, their parents are fans of the hip. And so that's sort of, in, as they say, in their DNA, but they turned out, they won this uh, competition in the rock station down in Niagara, maybe about a decade ago. And they emerged uh, from there along with July talk and Billy talent and all these great Canadian bands. There's so many of them. Like for my era, like trooper and, you know, Chilliwack and all this sort of in that family. And there's nothing, more endearing to me than the Canadian rock and roll singer, you know, and, and, and this applies to rap and all that too, because there's some great rappers around Toronto and great hip hop artists and also pop artists. So um, they're actually doing well. They were opening for the Rolling Stones. They did that here. They did that in Europe. They opened for the Who. They won a Juno. They're playing in, you know, all through the U.S. They're hotter than a pistol. And then along comes this pandemic. That kind of just killed them. I mean, literally killed them. And these guys, did they whine about it? No, they went back to work. They went back to construction and painting jobs. And I thought it was so cool, you know, that people would see them in the in the paint store or in the the Rona kind of thing, and their fans would come up and get a picture, and they're wearing a hard hat. And I just I just thought it was such a cool story. So for them to get back up on stage in the hockey arena, they're playing. They played in Kingston Hockey Arena. One in Ottawa where the 67s play. Peterborough Pete's, St. Catharines, uh, Niagara Ice Dogs uh, Arena, Kitchener Rangers Arena. So they're back doing it the hard way, you know, playing 5,000-seat venues, and they're filling them up. People are starting to come again, and they're getting on the road. So I, I just like I like the story. My editors liked it, and, uh, and it's done well. People have read it because it's not politics, and it's not 
you know, like the shooting of the people outside the mosque in Toronto and things like that, which is you have to cover. And, you, you know, we're all horrified by it. At the same time, it, you know, around Easter weekend, it's kind of nice to have some positive thinking too. Not much sign of election fever in Ontario, is there, Joe? I mean, no. <laughs> I mean, we're we're getting pretty close now. It's it's June what the third, the second, third that uh, the uh, that Ontarians go to the, go to the polls, and yeah. uh, you wouldn't know it. I mean, <laughs> I mean, no. what's going? on? Is it just people are just so cynical about this? Do they think, well, it's the Uniparty either way? No matter who you vote for, you're going to get the same crap. The one thing that got broken, to answer your question, the one thing that got broken in the pandemic for people looking at government is the understanding that there is no real government. The government answers to someone else. And it answers it, whether it's the medical doctors or whether it's the corporate interests or whether it's that world economic form that you're always talking about, beat the drum about, <laughs> or whether it's just answering to Ottawa, all of that. And so that's part of it. They don't have confidence in it. They don't really think that whatever they think or say or how whatever whoever they vote for will make any kind of difference. I'm talking about Ontario. Now, federally, with uh, Pierre Polyev, there's a phenomenon going on there across the country. Yeah. I mean, he's packing it in, yeah. uh, similar to what Max Bernier was doing, although it was you know, covered the same way, and obviously what Ford Nation with, with Rob and Doug have done before. So so there are, there's a groundswell of people that are saying enough is enough. We want this country to go in a different direction than the, the uh, Trudeau government. Uh, they've said that in the elections uh, because, uh, you know, the leaders of the Conservative Party did get as many or more votes than Trudeau. But they, the way that it's to, the votes are displaced and the seats are displaced across yeah, the country, yeah. they weren't able to do it. So this time, this is the third go around with a new leader. And who is it going to be? There's there's some really good leaders running for it, including Pierre, Pierre Polyev. But he's the one that's... Um, this, uh, this stuck out. So some people obviously have some confidence. Is he making liberals nervous? Do you find? Oh, for sure. I mean, are you kidding me? They <laughs> they they notice that uh, he's making everybody nervous. But the thing that's against him is it's a long race uh, for the, the to get the leadership, and then it's even longer. He's you know because of the deal with the devil, part six or whatever. Um, you know the Trudeau made with um, the NDP. The um, you know, he very well may have to sit there for three years. But, I mean, you know, look at it. It's still a minority parliament. And as people can't, you know, if, if there really are food shortages and the gas goes to $2 a liter and the housing prices go up and people can't renegotiate their mortgages the same way, and if people are getting sick or sicker or with the pandemic or the response to it or if they get into four and five, six doses, all these things will put people in a particular mood and uh, recession and inflation, we could end up in an election. And you're right, it, it would make them very nervous because they keep using the word populism. And I, I laughed at that because populism is a word that they've invented. It's almost like, you know, social conservative or whatever. I don't even know what that is. Like they say, oh, you're a social conservative. Well, really? I, don't, I didn't get a card. I mean, I didn't know. What are you talking about? So they, they, they take words, they use them. And they use them very well. The liberals are good at keeping power. They're good at getting power at all costs, keeping at all costs. And Pierre Polyev will find that out pretty soon. Yeah, he'll find that out. You know, he'll 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 be facing well, it. I mean, he's and, 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 uh, he's bringing out the crowds, and uh, they're not boring speeches. It's just that he is now definitely in the crosshairs of the left, the establishment in Canada. They well, you saw how good the more he talks. 
And the more people come out to see him, the less they like him, and the more alarmed they get that the Canada is moving in a direction that they don't want. Right, right now, Canada for the last well, seven he's years, tough, he's got a tough, tough position because Pierre Polyev is very good at that. He's a good speaker. He's a very good debater. He's good in the house. And the one thing he doesn't have is experience at running anything. And so he's trying to show that he can do that. And you know, a lot of people feel that you need to have uh, kind of more than just that one sort of populist, if that's the right word, uh, kind of uh, style. And you'll see him starting to uh, move into directions and you're starting to think, well, gee, you know, I didn't know he thought that or I didn't know he th-. you know, you can see the reaction of the pollsters and the people in the industry. But again, all of it is just loud perhaps smoke and mirrors because it really is up to the people that they sign up to vote who's going to come out and vote i think he has to win on that first ballot i think he can win on it but you yeah, know I if think he doesn't anything it, anything yeah anything could happen and we saw that we saw that with uh, written. well yeah i mean i and you know we saw that certainly with uh in, in 2017 when sheer defeated uh the guy uh, that many thought, maybe out, thought uh, really well that, that mac they defeated max when a lot of people thought that uh, that Max it was Max's to lose, I got to bail because uh, it's it, I got to I got to go to break. But uh, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it as always. Have a great week, Joe Warmington. Check out his fantastic work in the pages of the Toronto Sun. Got to take a break, brief commercial break, and we're going to be back with lots more on the Mark Petrona show right here on Saga Nine Sixty. After this.